Welcome. Thank you for choosing to listen to another word-filled message by David Entry. Preaching is the means by which God manifests his word and nourishes our spirits. May the life of God enter into you and you as you listen to this message. Be blessed. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, from 2 and 3. I determined not to know anything amongst you, save Christ. And then not to leave it just like that. It says, and him crucified. And him crucified. That's what I want to know. That's what, in our congregation, that's one of the things that must be buzzing in the church. When the believers gather, what must be buzzing amongst us is the crucified Christ. In other words, our minds must be on the crucifixion always. We must think crucifix, the crucifixion of Christ. So it says that we preach Christ crucified. Chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, from verse 22, 23, 24, he said, a stumbling block to the Jews. Yes, yes, yes. But we preach Christ what? I can't hear. We preach Christ what? We preach Christ crucified. But there's a problem about preaching crucified Christ. It's a stumbling block for the Jews. Why would you preach something to save people, which would be a stumbling block to them? If the message is for salvation, why don't we find a message that everybody likes? That is acceptable to everybody, soft on everybody's ears. Why don't we just preach that message which everybody can accept? It's easier what everybody can accept to save everybody. He said there are are two problems with this message we are preaching. It's a stumbling block to the religious people. And then, you see, if you say Jesus is the son of God, it's a big problem for religious people. But now to preach a crucified conqueror as a savior, a a savior who who could not save himself. What kind of savior is this? On the plane, they said in the, in, in the event of emergency, oxygen marks come. To use yours first before you save others. But a savior who can't save himself. No wonder some people say, my friend, this is rubbish. It poses a problem. Even to those who are crucified with him. One of the thieves said in the book of Luke chapter 20, uh, 23, said, if you are, if you are, why don't you save yourself and save us too? Can you imagine? They're one of the criminals. It's usually the criminals. <laughs> they have the big mouth. One of the criminals who are hanged, blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself. And I can't, I can't understand this. Because in his mind, he couldn't reconcile the fact that a Christ should suffer like that. He couldn't. Re- I know some of you, especially those who uh, have had discourses with people who are a bit who think they are intellectual or who are intellectual. Their problem is how can you tell me that Jesus, who couldn't save me, they crucify him, is a savior? How can they? The thief on the cross says that. Come on, if you are a savior, then do something. Save your, look, you can't save yourself. You see, when you are crucified on the cross, your it's like your rib is ripping. Your foot is struggling because of the pain of the nails. 
but you need that to support your breathing. And your diaphragm, that will help, that is responsible for breathing, is being stressed, so it's hard to breathe sometimes. And you have to use your, your foot to push yourself to breathe. And it's such an excruciating, painful way of dying that you don't have time to argue with anybody. And this guy had time to tell Jesus that you. (laughs) He had time to speak. And Bible said he blasphemed. It's in your Bible. Blasphemed him saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself. Save yourself and then you can save us too. They were both witnessing the same event. The other one said, Hey, how dare you speak like that? He said, The other one answered, He said, On Tim saying, Did you, Do you not even fear God? See, you are under the same condemnation with this man. You are under the same condemnation, and you won't keep quiet. The guy said me, no, 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 no. This thing is too, intellectually, it doesn't make sense. I will die before I believe in this man. No, no, this this useless man. The other one said, how can you do that? Verse 41. We, 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 and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. But this man, even the thief on the cross knew he was innocent. Then he said to Jesus, remember me. Lord, he called him Lord. He called, see, both of them were experiencing the same thing, same observations, same pain, but one said Lord, the other one said lunatic. Yeah. One said Jesus is a lunatic, the other one said he's Lord. One said he's God, the other one said he's mad. Same experience. Remember me when you come to your kingdom. Because you hit him on the cross in the 31, 32, verse 31, 32, 33, saying that, Father, forgive them. <sighs> he knew the man was innocent. And yet he said, Father, forgive them. This man is asking for forgiveness. I think I need that one. Because I'm, I'm justly suffering for what I'm doing. But I need forgiveness. Because where I am going, I don't know how I'm going to answer that. The cross. And many people have looked down on the cross and said the cross is really, you know, all this Christian, Christian. The truth is you can't have Christianity without a cross. It's a very important symbol. Symbol of Christianity. And the cross is not, it's not a symbol that people should ideally re- rejoice in. Because the, the cross was for execution. So it's like a murder weapon. It's for execution. And someone dies by the cross, and then Christians, then we begin to wear the cross. We go to churches, church buildings. Some of you in your homes, there's cross there. In your car, there's cross sometimes. And symbol, every, almost every proper church building have some cross somewhere. 
Why? 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 Because that, that, how, you know, when a loved one dies, you, you normally don't remember the loved one in the bad way they died. That if a loved one dies in a very tragic way, in a very bizarre way, people don't want to remember your love. The last image of your loved one is not the way, the, the terrible way in which he died. So sometimes when people's loved ones are involved in an accident or car crash, particularly, or maybe some bad tragedy, and they are dismembered, and they are, you are not allowed to see the person in that last state. Because that shouldn't be the last memory of you. The last memory they had about Jesus was the way he died on the cross. Was so gruesome, grueling, and yet, that is how Jesus said, remember me this way. That's how we take communion. Jesus said, don't remember me the way I was born. Don't remember me the way I even resurrected. Don't remember me the way I was, uh, I, I was celebrated when I was entering Hosanna, Hosanna. Don't remember me in any of these ways. Remember me the way I died. He suffered. So that is interesting. So we have to explore. He said we should remember him. You see, in the way of the cross. The way of the cross is what is usually called Via Dolorosa. Via Dolorosa. D-O-L-O-R-O. The way it sounds the same. Via Dolorosa. The way of the cross, which is the way of suffering. Two things I want to draw your attention to. That the way of the cross was not accidental. It wasn't tragic. It was intentional, programmed, and planned. So the way of the cross was intentional. It was programmed. It was planned. It was purposeful. And it was actually not only programmed, planned, purposeful, but prophesied. It was prophesied from old. David, who wrote the Messianic Psalm in Psalm 22, verse 1, he was talking about the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, he cried on the cross that my God, you remember on the cross what we read today in Mark? Today's reading is very interesting. It looks like a coincidence, but it's God's incidence. Yeah. We didn't plan it that we would read on his crucifixion today, but we just were following the reading. That tells you God is behind these readings. He cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lamak Sabachthani, which we, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? In the midst of his pain, in the midst of his agony. Aloy, Aloy, Lamak, Sabah, Tony. Why have you forsaken me? Oh, my God. David said it. He was prophesying about the Messiah. In the book of Psalm 22, verse 1. David spoke about the Messiah's suffering. And Psalm 22, verse 6 to 8. Let's look at verse Psalm 22, verse 6 to 8. It says that, but I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. This is talking about Jesus, his suffering. It was a messianic psalm pointing to the Messiah. Verse 7. 
All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, no, 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 wait, wait. You see, this, 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 we just read it today. In fact, when I was reading today, I found it so interesting that I wasn't actually preparing. I was just reading my Bible, and I realized all these things were there. In chapter 15, verse 17 to 20, we'll come back to today's reading. Look at chapter 15, verse 17 to 20. In today's reading, it says that, and they clothed him with purple and plaited a, a, a crown of tongues and put it on his head and began to salute him. Hail, king of the... This is the, the Roman soldiers. What they did to him. So, Hail, king of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with a, a reed and did spit upon him and bowed their, their knees, worshipping all that. Why were they doing that? They were doing this. And, they, and when they had mocked him, so that's what they were doing. They mocked him and they took him off the purple. They, they took off the purple uh, from him and put, he, put his own clothes on him and led him out to be crucified. So the soldiers mocked him. And then when you look at the people who were also passing by, verse 29 and verse 30, people who were passing by, and they, and they that passed by railed on him. They said about They also mocked him. Wait, wagging their head. Is that not what Psalm 22 said? Walking their head and saying, ah, thou that destroyed that you, you don't have to forget this one. You destroyed the temple. Thou that destroyed the temple and built it in three days. Look at the next verse, verse 30. Save thyself and come down from the cross. They mocked him. Pa- soldiers mocked him. Passersby mocked him. They shook the, nah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at this one. Yeah, yeah. It was very humiliating. Because what some of you don't know, is how he was crucified. Completely naked. So you can imagine the miracle worker, savior, naked on the cross. And not somewhere in the valley, but high, where everyone you can see from afar is naked. Savior. I know you can imagine how it would be like. It's, it's very bad. And then look at verse 31. So passerby, passerby. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, he saved others. <laughs> he cannot save himself. <laughs> they mocked him. They mocked him. They provoked him to prove for him to come down the cross. But his destination was the cross. So soldiers mocked him. Passersby mocked him. The chief priests mocked him. And even the fellows on the verse 32, the next verse, those who were crucified with him to join him. What's going on here? Let the king, it says that, let Christ, the king of Israel, descend now from the cross. And uh, uh, that we may see and believe. That's what the Pharisees were saying. And they that were crucified with him, reviled him. Everybody was joining in. So soldiers mocked him. Passed by mocked him. The chief priests, the authorities of the land mocked him. Those who were dying with him mocked him. Abba. <laughs> and look at verse 36. Verse 36 says that, and one ran and filled a, a, a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elijah or Elias will come and save him. This is soldiers. They also mock him. 
Everybody was mocking him. What? And yet this guy was very innocent. How can God allow this to happen? Like some of you when you go through things. Why should God allow me to go through? Remember the cross. God can allow things to happen for his purpose. If you can focus on his purpose, you will come out unscathed. How can God allow this to happen? So, in Psalm 22, we saw David saying this. Let's go back to Psalm 22, verse 6 and 7. Psalm 22, verse 6 and 7. David was prophesying about the Messiah, and this is what the Messiah will be saying. Verse 7. Verse 7 says that, And all the, uh, and all, uh, all they that see me laugh me to scorn. Did you see that everybody was scorning? They shoot out their lip. They shake their head, saying, he trusted in the Lord, on the Lord that would deliver him. Let him deliver him. Seeing he delighted in him. Now, watch this. This is what prophets have already said. So it wasn't like um, they are, this is being written after Jesus died. This was written thousands of years. Over hundreds of years. Of more than thousand years. Before Jesus died. So, that was a prophecy. The prophet spoke about the suffering. So David, as he, as he was written, that's why he opened up by saying that, Eloi, Eloi, Laba, Shaba, some, some, verse 1, verse 1, 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was just speaking about the, the Messiah's suffering. So what I'm trying to say is that the Messiah's suffering had already been prophesied and enshrined in God's purpose. And prophet spoke about his suffering. In Isaiah chapter 53, from verse 2, all the way down to verse 6 and verse 12. Let's look at that. Isaiah chapter 53. Reading from verse 2. This will be a very important text. Isaiah is popularly known among theologians as the Messianic prophet. He says that for he, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of, of, a, out of a dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should de desire him. You see, the way Jesus was beaten, there's no way you can see him and think, I would like this one. No wonder the thief on the cross was even blasting. There's, there's no beauty that uh, we, 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 we should desire him. Verse 3. He's despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrow. Let's all say a man of sorrow. Say it again, please. A man of sorrow, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we did hit as it were our faces from him. He was despised and, was and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we were healed. Hallelujah. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. 
And who shall declare his generations? For he was cut out, cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgressions of his of my people was was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had not done no violence. He had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise. Did you see that? It pleased the Lord to bruise him. So bruise there means making him suffer. It, it, it broke him. God was happy to break him. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. Can you imagine? You put people to death. When people are grieving, you comfort them. Jesus was opposite. They put him to grief. And this is God behind it. He has put him to grief. When thou shalt make the soul of, uh, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Did you see? This is obviously Jesus was talking about. Then that shall make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Now, this is talking about the Messiah. The Messiah's suffering. It has already been prophesied. In Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10. He spoke about his piercing. It has already been prophesied. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have what? Pierced. Say they are pierced. Last, last Wednesday I taught a very powerful message on the piercing in KP2. Whom they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and shall mourn for him. As one month for his only son, and shall, and shall be in bitterness for him, as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Now, this is also talking about this, the suffering of Jesus. Now, I, I wanted to show you in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, that the suffering of Jesus was not anything new. That is why when Jesus resurrected from the dead, and on the road to Emmaus, he met these two disciples who were saying that the Messiah, he's the one who had been prophesied. We thought he's going to deliver Israel, but they have, they have conspired and crucified him. But some of our brethren in chapter 24 in Luke, some of our, of our brethren who went to the tomb said he's resurrected. And then Jesus Christ in verse 24, Luke chapter 24, verse 24, and he said, some of our brethren have said uh, the women have seen him, uh, but they didn't see him. And then verse 25, then Jesus, then he, Jesus, said to them, oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. To believe what? To believe what? To believe all that the prophets have spoken. The next verse. Ought not the Christ. Did you see that? Did you see that? Ought not the Christ what? I can't hear you. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things. The suffering of Christ was an ought not. So it was an, sorry, ought to. Sorry about that. The, the suffering of Christ was an ought to. He had to suffer. He had to suffer. So Jesus said, ought not the Christ to have suffered this? Look at verse 46. Verse 46 talks about he suffered according to the scriptures. Verse 46 of Luke chapter, chapter 24. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to to rise from the dead on the third. It is written and it was, watch this, that word, necessary. So the cross was not incidental or accidental. 
It was a necessity. But I am trying to gradually draw your attention to, the, to something. Not just the death. Because when he said, he didn't say, ought not the Christ to have died. He said to have suffered. It was as a period of time. It wasn't like, you know, if dying, someone could have stabbed him. And he died. But he went through suffering. It's a pathway. It's a way of suffering. The way of the cross was a way of suffering. It wasn't once and for all. It wasn't like it happened suddenly. No. It was a gradual process. They arrested him around midnight. The day of Passover. They arrested him. And once they arrested him, 3 a.m., they took him to the house of the chief priest. And started judging him 3 a.m. Why would you judge somebody at night when everybody's asleep? Undercover judgment. And they found him guilty. In fact, Bible says that they brought witnesses to come and, to this reading, to come and testify about him, but their, their, their statement could not agree. Because what this one was saying, if it's true, then what this guy is saying is not true. And this other one is saying, it makes the others, their statements, their testimonies did not agree. They brought them, they, can you imagine, around 3 a.m. They have already planned the witnesses, get ready. He's coming. When he comes, you have to come and say. You have to come and say. The judgment of Jesus was just telling you about the wickedness of human heart. Not every judgment pass is clean. Telling human beings are always flawed. Whether it is against A, party A, or party B. Whether it's against a prime minister or uh, an opposition leader, whether it's against a war criminal, or sometimes it depends on whose interest you are talking about. Most times. Most times it's just interest. Judgment is carried out in the interest of the one carrying the judgment. Most times. So what was happening was just a depiction of how flawed human judgment can be, could be. The perfect man who ever lived, they killed him. There's only one man who has lived and was a perfect lived. And that perfect man, they killed him. And they killed him with criminals. The one who was supposed to convict him said, I find no fault in him. The centurion said, no, it's true. It's true. This man is faultless, the son of God. The, the witnesses that they brought to come and accuse him, they couldn't have anything to say. So they have to concord something that was not true. The thief who was dying with him said, ah, this man has not done anything wrong. So, no, that's why one day Jesus asked them, which of you could, I think in John chapter 5 or chapter 8 from verse 40 somewhere, said, which of you could, can convict me of sin? And I, mean, I, I know you can't say that. <laughs> you can't say that. Whether it has to do with your, your education, your relationship with your parents, some of you, your immigration, um, <laughs> your, your, your age, your education, your scholarships, and a lot of things. There's uh, your house you bought. There are all kinds of lies somewhere. <laughs> Forms you filled. I mean, if we should bring it out, we can convict you one way or the other of sin. Yes. 46. That's a powerful statement. Which of you convict me of sin? Yet the same person in John chapter 8 said to the people, including the Pharisees, that which of whichever of you, verse, um, I think verse 8 of you, who, 
Whoever is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Show me any human being that is not without sin. And yet he could say, which of you can commit me of sin? He didn't even say I'm without sin. He didn't even say, tell you, look for me. Because he was sinless. You can't convict me of sin. And yet that man is the one they killed. Why did they have to kill him? Because it was, the, it was he said, ought not the Christ to have suffered. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to have entered his glory. Says the suffering. The suffering. Say the suffering. The suffering. In the book of Acts chapter um, 3 verse 18 and Acts chapter 17 verse 3. Acts chapter 3 verse 18 says, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ, did you see that? God has been saying that the Christ will suffer. So any Christ that doesn't suffer is not, it's a fake Christ. (laughs) A, A sufferingless Christ is a fake Christ. Tell them, in God's wisdom, it has pleased him that through the preaching of the cross, he will save those who believe. Yeah. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21-22. It has pleased God to save those who believe through the preaching of the cross. Why? Because the, the cross is the killing of a Messiah. How can a Messiah suffer? But Bible says that God has said it through the mouth of his prophets. Acts chapter 3, verse 18. God has said this thing through the, has foretold through the mouth of his prophet that the Christ will suffer. And look at Acts chapter 17, verse 3. This is Paul trying to reason with them, get them getting them to be born again. When you read it from verse 2, Paul is it's all about Paul. Then Paul, as, as his custom, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures. Do you know what it means to reason with people for the scripture? That, that's what we should be doing in church, you know. That's what they've changed it into all kinds of stuff. We should reason and prove it from people. Look, this, this is what the scriptures are saying. So, you know, if you want to attack God in the congregation, attack the Bible. Then they won't have anything for their reasoning. Any pastor who has any other source for his reasoning is not doing the work of God. <laughs> no, no, no. The Bible, the, the, the word of God is enough. The word of God is enough. That should be our main source of reasoning. Reasoning from scriptures. And what, what was the reasoning? This is interesting. Explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer. Ah, did you see that? The, he explained and demonstrated that the Christ had to suffer and to rise again from the dead. And he says that this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. They prophesied the Christ in the Old Testament. But the New Testament, we preach the Christ. This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ of the prophets. The Christ the prophets prophesied. And so, Jesus Christ had to suffer. When you study the scriptures very carefully, you can see from place to place, from scripture to scripture, the suffering of Christ was such a necessary aspect of the assignment of Christ. Ought not the Christ to have suffered and, uh, and, on the third, uh, and to enter his glory. So the suffering of Christ was a very necessary aspect of his, his, his job on earth. Now, when you look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13, and then we look at chapter 1, verse 10, then I'll, find, I'll, I'll start running up and draw attention to something. 1 Peter chapter, chapter 4, verse 13. But rejoice... To the extent that ye partake of Christ. Ah, so you see, Christ's suffering 
is such so much part of everything he came to do that when you become a Christian, you actually rejoice that you are partaking of his suffering. That's so important. But in Acts, sorry, in First Peter chapter one verse ten, I like that text so much uh, that I was teaching it last week and the week before about how the prophets of old of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that will come to you. Go ahead, searching what and of what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand what the suffering of Christ. So the, the spirit of Christ inside the prophets was testifying beforehand that there's a Christ coming and he's going. He testified about his suffering. He testified about his suffering. The sufferings of Christ were testified about in the scriptures. That and the glories that should follow. Look at verse 11. Verse 12, sorry. The next verse says that, to them, it was revealed not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things uh, which have been reported to you through those who preach the gospel. Which we preach, not prophesy. Who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Look at the next verse. And they said, therefore, get up the loins of your minds and be sober to the grace that... So they prophesied, or the spirit of Christ in the prophet, prophets was testifying of the sufferings of Christ. Did you see that? Was, was testifying beforehand the sufferings of Christ, the sufferings of Christ, the sufferings of... Somebody says the sufferings, sufferings of Christ. Now, I've said a lot about the suffering because I, we need to understand that the suffering was a plan of God. But why would God plan that? Why would God plan? So, the Via de la Rosa, the way of suffering, so long as Christ was concerned, was the suffering of, uh, uh, was the plan of God. I want to submit something to you. Very interesting. In all the, the New Testament, okay, sorry, the Gospels, four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What are the four Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. A third of the gospel, Gospels focus on the death of Christ. A third. In fact, when you are reading John, a little after halfway is beginning to introduce us to the death of Christ. The whole biography of Jesus, a third of it focused on his death. And when you come into the epistles, do you know what epistles are? See, okay, the New Testament is divided into um, the, three, particular, really, three sessions. The first session is history. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts is all about history. And this happened, and that happened, and it happened. It's telling about stories, right? Then, the last one is Revelation, apocalyptic, talking about what's going to come. So the middle section, which is, is all about a letter to the church, how we should conduct ourselves, how we should leave the church. So letters, they are epistles. As I tell you, it's interesting God sends us letters, not lectures. Letters. Letters are personal. So when you are sending a text message to somebody and it goes to the wrong person... You know what I mean? You know what I mean? <laughs> no, no, no. Thank God for delete with WhatsApp and some of the. But as for text messages. And what is even bad is when you take a screenshot about your conversation with somebody and send it to the same person. You feel like the earth you open for you to be swallowed. Oh no! <laughs> we call 
eight letters, but it's, you can also call it text messages. Messaging. Letters are actually messaging, written to particular people in mind. From a particular person, having a certain type of relationship with those who are receiving it. So God sent us letters. Lectures is for everybody. Letters is not for everybody, it's for some people. So sometimes people go and read the New Testament and they say, Oh, these things are lies. It's not for you, please. Because you don't understand it. You are not born. It's not your message. It's not for you. That's why you think the Bible contradicts itself, because it's not for you. Those of us who it's for, we can tell it doesn't contradict itself. Shout hallelujah. So we are it's divided into three: the history, the letters, and the prophecy, end times. The history is made up of two sessions, uh, the gospel, the biography of Jesus, and then the church, early church, Acts. As I said, all the gospels, a third of it is about the death of Jesus. When you go into the epistles, the letters, it didn't talk about his life. None. All the letters didn't talk about the life of Jesus. It only spoke about the death of Jesus. What is it? Why is the death so important? And Hebrews, I like Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10. It says that for it was fitting for God in bringing many sons. For it is fitting for God for whom are all things and by whom are all things. In bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. What made Jesus perfect? Perfect that means appropriate. This, this, yeah, this, the, this is the right, right savior for us. Hmm. You look at that, yeah, that's perfect for us. For Jesus to be a perfect savior, he must be made perfect through suffering. Yet some people say that a suffering savior I don't like. But God said for anyone to qualify to save us, he must be made perfect through suffering. And so on the cross, from what we read today, he stayed on the cross for six hours. They crucified him at 9 a.m. And he died exactly at 3 p.m. And when he died, on the Sabbath, he died. Do you know when he died? He died on the day of the Passover. It's in the Bible. We say that day was the day of the Passover. And that day of the Passover, every Passover, that day, 3 p.m., the Passover lamb must be killed. So the time Jesus said, into your hands I committed my, I commit my soul, the time Jesus said, into thy hands are coming by soul, at that time, a lot of lamb will be, back, back. blood will be flowing all over. Because that is the perfect time to slaughter the lamb of the Passover. He died. He's Jesus, our Passover lamb. Christ, our Passover lamb. Christ, our Passover lamb. Christ, our Passover lamb. Shout hallelujah. He had to go through suffering. I want to submit something very interesting to you, which has not been made very clear in, the, in many times or in the past in the church very much. But it's a very important thing. When you read the Bible, sir, when you read the Bible very carefully, listen, artists and movie actors have tried to depict the suffering of Jesus, the passion, the passion of the Christ. Mel, Mel did well. Yeah. If you have watched the passion of the Christ, you see how gruesome death was. And even that, it didn't come close to the actual. But when you read Luke, Luke chapter 22, I think from verse 34 or so, when the Bible said, and there they took him to a mountain called Golgotha, 
and there they crucified him. They only, the Bible only focuses a little bit about they put tongues on him, whipped him. But when you look at Mel Gibson's writings, you see how the beating was very bad. You will never see that in the Bible. How many of you have ever read the Bible about the crucifixion? It's not common. It's not common. But when you watch Mel Gibson, you cry. Many people will cry. But I said something just now that the depiction of the suffering of Christ by Mel Gibson didn't get close to the actual suffering. And yet, when you read the Bible, you won't see it. In fact, when you look at Luke, I think Luke chapter 22, I think I probably have to find, verse 30 something, it says that, and they took him to the, and there they crucified him. They, they crucified him. Luke chapter 22. Oh, sorry, 23. It should be 23. I'm sorry. Luke chapter 23. Um, uh, have you seen it? Uh, put it on the screen for me if you find it quickly. And the, 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 the um, all right, all right. It's in the 30s. Yes, in verse 33, it says that, and when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. Did you see that? But give us, look at Mel Gibson's movie. No details. Can you give me some details? I want to feel the pain of Jesus. Tell me some details. Because the way of the cross was a very, very terrible way. Via de la Rosa is bad. It's painful. He cried. They whipped him. And when you watch the movie, when they had nailed him to the cross and they were turning it, it's bad. It's bad. But look, no details. They crucified him. What do you mean? How did they crucify him? Did they nail the wrong place and remove the nail again? Tell us some details. Because if they tell you a detail, you'll be gripped by the sympathy for Christ. But sympathy for Christ doesn't bring salvation. Doesn't bring salvation. So sympathy for the suffering of Christ does not bring salvation. It is faith in the death of Christ that brings salvation. So watch this, watch this. They didn't want to draw your attention onto how he suffered, but they wanted to draw your attention onto why he suffered. That's why, because if they go into details, we'll be distracted by how, oh, oh, and you feel so sorry for Christ. And they were crying for him. He said, don't cry for me. Don't cry for me. Luke chapter 22. Don't cry, cry for you and your children. <laughs> you crying for me? For me? Who told you I'm miserable? Verse 28. But Jesus turned turn to them. Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. But weep for yourselves and for your... They were weeping. <laughs> and they beat him like... See, if you are there, you feel sorry for him. But the Bible never focused on... on the gruesome nature. Because you end up being so sorry for him. <laughs> and you won't focus on the purpose for his dying. Wow. And you won't be saved. <laughs> Salvation is not, for, for, is not based on the sympathy for Christ's suffering. It's based on the faith in his death. Why did he have to die? That's why I kept telling you, ought not the Christ to suffer? 
ought not the Christ to suffer. But why should he suffer? Why should he suffer? That's what we have to know. That's what brings the salvation. He suffered the beating. I want you to look at Mark chapter 15 again as I get ready to. Today's reading. Thank you, Jesus. Look at it's very interesting text. All right, let's look at verse 38 down. I will just. All right, verse 37 said, Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. Hmm. Okay, let's go to this. I think because something. Um, let's go to verse 33. And when the, the sixth hour has come, and when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Now, the sixth hour is midday. So it's like counting from 6 a.m. Right. So the sixth hour is midday. The ninth hour is what? 3 p.m. All right. And... Oh, sorry. The, I'm sorry. The sixth hour is midday. Yeah, 6 a.m. from uh, So it's midday, ninth hour. Who's at 3 p.m.? Uh, 3 a.m. It's 3 p.m. Okay. It's plus 3. Um, Rane plus 3. <laughs> Midday five. Quick maths. Some of you, you look very... When I speak about maths, I don't like the expression. <laughs> so, <laughs> 6. They crucified at 9... Um, 9 a.m. And between, it's, three, it's six hours on the cross. It's divided into two. Into two. Okay, six divided by two. What do you have? You forgot. So, <laughs> Watch this. He said six sayings on the cross. The first three hours, all he said was concerning people. The last three hours, all he said was concerning himself. The first three hours, the first thing he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. Second thing he said, he said to the John and the mother, mother, your son, son, your mother. The third thing he said on the cross, that's the first three hours, is where he says that, Jesus, they said, remember me in paradise, said, today you shall be with me in paradise. Okay, Luke chapter 23, verse 43, he said to the thief. Now, the next three hours was about himself. And let's, let's look at this from the text I was reading now. So when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So the dark, net, darkness for how many hours? The darkness was for how many hours? Don't forget that. You know, who can bring darkness on the earth? Can any technology do that? The first three hours, everything that was done to him, they were mocking him, they were hitting him, and all the things that were done to him, even from the time he was co condemned, it was man persecuting him. Man, man, oh man, the thieves were talking against him. Everything until the time when God said, okay, me too, I'm going to come after you. And God, he, the son withdrew. That was the anger. Hell came on him on the cross. Hell is almost like, definition of hell is without the presence of God. So God withdrew his presence and darkness 
He was in hell. The hell that you and I were supposed to go, he experienced it on the cross. The last three hours, the last three hours. You see, do you know why he died? He didn't die because the cross didn't kill him. The absence of God broke his heart. The cross, usually, the the cross kills between two days and seven days. The longest you can stay on the cross is seven days. Two days, so you'll be there, you won't die. You won't die. The cross doesn't kill quickly. It kills slowly. And so today's, from today's text, they went and, uh, Joseph of Arimathea went to the pilot. He said, can you give me the body? Because he's dead. Pilate said, well, is it dead that quickly? Pilate marveled. He was surprised that he's dead already because he's an experienced executor. Pilate marveled that he was already dead. The time Jesus died was premature. He shouldn't have died at that time. The time he died on the cross was not the time people die on the cross. So what killed him? It wasn't the cross that killed him. Let's go back to the text. The last three things he said on the, uh, 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 on the cross. And all those three things were said when the darkness came upon him. When Jesus was born, the star appeared. When he was dying, the sun withdrew. It's there in your Bible. It's there. He's only one human being whose presence and absence command changed the movement of the galaxy. On the cross, there was dark. Sun went away. In the cradle, the star appeared. So when the sun withdrew, it was God's judgment upon him. The judgment, the punishment that you deserve, because of all the lies, the fornication, the master, uh, 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 the lying, the. <laughs> They were drug and weed smoking. <laughs> They're stealing and everything. Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That the righteousness of God might come upon us. Hallelujah. Yeah. That we might become the righteousness of of God inside Christ. So when you are in Christ, God says, oh, look at my baby, so clean. <laughs> and you are wondering, your neighbors are wondering, who is God talking about now? <laughs> and you are going, and God said, look at my girl, look at my boy, he's so clean, <laughs> perfect boy. <laughs> justified, yet you are stinking. God has declared you justified, but you ain't that justified physically. But you are in Christ. So your works couldn't help you, but his works have helped you. Let, let's, let's look at the text. Let's look at There's a lot I'm covering now. Let me finish this thing. So the whole help. There's 34. And, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, let me make the back tani. Psalm 22 verse 1. It was like on the cross, he was even quoting scripture. <laughs> you see your Bible on the cross he was quoting scripture because he was the scripture when he spoke scripture is speaking <laughs> Eloi Eloi Lamak Sabak Tani and <laughs> um, yeah said Eloi which is to mean my God my God why have you second me and some of them, watch this. And some of them that stood by, when they heard it, said, Behold, he called Elias, that's Elijah. 
And one ran and filled a sponge with vinegar and put it in a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, uh, let alone, let us see if Elijah will come. Elijah comes to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up his ghost. So to, now, Mark didn't cover the other things he said. He only covered Eloi, Eloi, Labak, Sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But when you read the other versions, other gospels, like John, he said, it is finished. John chapter 30, 19 verse 30. Tetelestai, it is finished. So then he said, Father, Father, into your hand. I, that was the last thing he said on the cross. And that was very, very Jewish. When a Jewish boy is going to sleep, or a Jewish girl, for that matter, a Jewish child is going to bed, they taught them to pray this prayer. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit and sleep. And then they wake up in the morning because he's going to bed. So he prayed this prayer. Jesus, it was in the end. He prayed the Jewish boy's prayer. Father, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And he gave up the ghost. He said, no one kills me. I laid down my life. He gave up the ghost. Clap for Jesus. Now, as, as I ran up, why did he have to go through all this? Because of you. In Zechariah chapter 13, verse 6, other translations render it because of his friends. Those, which, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friend. Then I will answer those with which. So, all right, let's go. And one will say to me, what are these wounds between your where arms? What are these wounds between your arms? And I will say to them, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. When you read other translations, it says that, uh, uh, um, the other version, um, amplified. Those who love me. Those, who, those with which I was wounded, wounded when disciplined in the house of my loving friends. All right. So I was wounded because of the people I love. That's why I wouldn't come off the cross. Because he was busily paying for our sins. But why must somebody pay for sins? Wages of sin. Is it on death? He shed his blood. We need blood. God, Bible says that without the, by, according to God's system, law, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22, according to the law, by the law, almost all things are purged by blood. And without the remission of blood, there's no, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. So they cannot, remission means remit, to remittance, you know remittance. So to take away. There cannot be remission, taking away of sins without the shedding of blood. That is why, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the one who came to die to save our sins. So he had to shed his blood on the cross. And the evidence of shed blood are the piercings. So Revelation chapter 1 verse 7, it says, they will see whom they are pierced. The piercings of Jesus Christ is the evidence of the blood. Do you remember on the cross, they pierced his side? In John chapter 19, verse 20, 34 and 36. Look at 34. And one of the soldiers 
pierced his side with spear, and immediately blood came out. That's when he, the blood he shed came through the piercing. Look at verse 36. 36 is quite interesting. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones were broken. The, the, the next verse, the next verse. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they have pierced. So all that was happening to Jesus was based on scripture. He was pierced. Do you, that's why when he resurrected from the dead, Thomas said, unless I see him, I will not believe. He said, and he, Thomas said, if I have to see and put my hands in the wounds. Because the wounds were sign of his death, of the blood that was shed. And when he came, he said, he showed them, these are my wounds. It's me. This is the evidence of my redemp- the redemption price I paid for you. I paid the price. You did it all for me? Yeah, I did it for you. I did it for you. I did it for you. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pastor, Pastor Charles, one of the things I've discovered in scripture or in life, in Christianity, is that um, sometimes when you hear the story of the cross, if he puts you off, you are the other thief on the cross. Wow. What, is, what is this? What is this? Pastor, preach something. You are preaching the cross, the cross, the cross. What is the cross? Ah. But if, when you are a genuine Christian, for some reason, this cross thing, this, this cross thing has a grip on your heart. It doesn't matter how many times you hear it. When you hear the message of the cross again, it touches your heart. And it goes deep. It goes beyond the skin. It touches deep. It's a sign that you are a Christian. It's a sign that you are a Christian. It's a sign that you are a Christian. I'm telling you, if the preaching of the cross is foolishness to you, you are not a Christian. You are not a Christian. Cross up, brother. I said, I put it to you. If the preaching of the cross is foolishness to you, you are not a Christian. You might think you are one. Acid test, you are not one. Because the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's in the Bible. If you are perishing, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We preach Christ crucified. Stumbling block. So to those who perish, it's foolishness. But to those of us who have, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who perish. But for, to those of us, verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are, let's all read it out loud. Let's read very loud. For the message of the cross is to the other thief on the cross. If you are the Messiah. <laughs> I'm suffering, but you. Save yourself and save us too. Save us. Nonsense. You are Messiah. The other one said, no. This makes all, all makes sense to me. The same observation. The same experience. But one took it differently. The preaching of the cross to the same crowd. When you read the Bible very carefully, particularly in the end of Acts, Acts chapter 28, from morning till evening, verse 23, from morning till evening, Paul expounded in the scriptures. So, so, so when they had appointed a certain day, came to, it came to him at the lodging to whom 
to whom he ex explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus Christ from, uh, uh, from both the law of Moses and the prophet from morning till evening. And after that, some didn't believe. Some were persuaded of the things that were spoken. And some disbelieved. Uh, who are the some? Who were persuaded? And who are the some who disbelieved? The Bible says that as many were, were appointed unto salvation, or eternal life, believed. In Acts chapter 13, think from the verse 40, that went somewhere there. It said, as many as were appointed. Now, now, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life, you didn't believe on your own. It's your appointment to eternal life that influenced your believing. You are not saved by accident. You are not saved arbitrarily. And the God sat down. Ooh, who will I say? Who will I say? Who will I say? Gay. Hey. Anyway, hey, hey, hey. No, 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 no. We were, we were saved from the foundation of the earth. Well, He has bought us with His blood from the foundation. We have been, we have been elected for those He foreknew. He also predestined. Come on, come on. In, in Ephesians chapter one. In Ephesians chapter one, verse. <laughs> In Ephesians chapter 1, verse uh, uh, 4, uh, yeah, 4, he said, just as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of, that we should be holy, we were chosen before, before. So before our great, great, great grandfather was born, God has chosen you. That is why, that is why your great grandfather couldn't have died. Because of you, you have already been chosen. If he was alive before you were born, then he was, in fact, he was, if he was alive for your great, great father, grandfather, or grandmother to be born, it was necessary because you were coming. Hallelujah. And there are some of you sitting here, your children have already been appointed unto salvation. Hallelujah. Shout hallelujah! Your children, your great, grand, great grandchildren. Because this salvation thing is from eternity to eternity. For those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he shall be the firstborn among many brethren. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. Shout hallelujah! Our salvation is not by accident. That's why the, the Messiah had, was it not necessary? Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to have entered? When we take communion, we are just remembering him in his suffering. When we take communion, we are making a statement that my sins have been paid for. When we take communion, we are making a statement that I, I belong to God. When we take communion, you are making a statement that you actually share DNA with God. You share God's DNA. Let me finish this text because my time is up. In Mark, today's reading. And it says that, verse 37, and Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil, oh, oh the veil, the veil? The veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. The veil of the temple. 
In, Rome, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 3, this is talking about the second veil. After the second veil is the holy, where God lives. Behind the second veil, say behind this. Oh, I feel like preaching, Pastor. Be, be, behind the second veil, the parts of the tabernacle, which is called the holies of holies. And that place, no human being goes there. No human being goes there. Because it was separating God from man. And when Jesus died on the cross, whatever was separating God from man, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 20, it talks about the veil which is his flesh. So when the veil, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil, that is his flesh. The veil is the flesh. The, 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 the gap between you and God, the barrier between you and God is your flesh. The flesh. But Jesus crucified the flesh. And the flesh was torn. This time, the flesh is no more a problem. And so would you know what it means? That God can now enter human being without the flesh problem. Without the flesh becoming a problem. Because that veil, which is a flesh, has been torn. When he died on the cross, the veil was torn. Now, God is free to enter humanity. And even to deeper, to build his church. The only way God could build his church is by putting himself in man. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! I haven't finished. And when the centurion, which stood over against, saw that he so cried and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this, is, this was the son, uh, the son of God. There were also women looking at, uh, from afar, amongst who were Mary Madeline, the mother of, uh, and Mary, the mother of James, the less, and of Joseph. That's Jesus' family. Uh, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him, these women followed him and ministered unto him. Wow. And many other women. Thank God for women. Who came up with him to Jerusalem. And now, when the evening was come. When the evening was come. When the evening was come. Because it was the preparation. That is, the day before the Sabbath. Huh? Joseph Arimathea went and collected the body. Say he's dead, give me the body. Because it was the day before the Sabbath, evening. Just, do you know, according to, sit down so that people can see me properly. I have to, I, am I saying I'm, sorry, I, need, I need to finish for us to have communion. According to Jewish day, it is not, Genesis chapter 1 verse 7 says that, and the evening and morning was the first day. The day doesn't start with morning and end with evening. Yeah. So the evening is everywhere in Genesis chapter. So the evening and the morning, the second day. The first day, you see, the evening and the morning. The evening, let's all say, the evening and the morning. The evening and the morning. So, so long as a Jew is concerned, when does the day start? In the evening. Which evening? So if it's six, today's date is 15th, the, so long as the Jew is concerned, but this time it's already 16th. The Gentile and the Roman changed it and they make it midnight. So your insurance, it tells you it ends on, 
11 something 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 59 yeah 23 59 because the next is the next day no so long as the jew is concerned it's it's your if your insurance is ending on that day it's uh, um, um, uh, 17 17 59 uh, 59 59 yeah the next microsecond you are entering into the next day 6 p.m so when the sabbath was about to come because watch this the next day was sabbath did you see that can I, can I take you a little further? Because I have to finish. But, but look, look, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 39 and verse 40. I think everybody needs to see this. It's evidential, very important. He said, You are asking for a sign. You want a sign. And even adulterous generations seek after a sign. And no sign will be given to them except the sign of Prophet Jonah. Uh, what's the sign? Look at the verse 40. All right, let's already Allah. Let's go. Since we are alive, I believe we are alive. I need to say some things to really um, change a few things. Three days. He said it will be how long? Three days and three nights. He said it will be how long? Three days and three nights. Three days and three nights. If he was crucified on Friday and he woke up or he resurrected on Sunday, in what, how does that explain three days and three nights? <laughs> Tell me how that it's only two nights and one day. But it's supposed to be three days and three nights. And it's certain according to um uh not John, so not Matthew, Mark, tomorrow's reading. I think chapter 16, verse 2. Let's look at Mark 16, 2. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, huh, the women went to the tomb. So he was risen. Before the sun rose, he had risen. All right. So when you read other versions, talk about a great while before day. So he, ro- he rose very early on the Sunday. What's the first day of the week? Sunday. Let's, let's, talk, let's think Jewish. What's the last day of the week for a Jew? Saturday. Saturday, because Saturday is the day of Sabbath, right? And so if they say before the Sabbath, that means that he died on Friday, 3 p.m., and then Sunday morning, he was already awake for early in, in, for church. <laughs> so so, so that, that, that does not constitute three days and three nights. So Jesus said three days and three nights. And we are certain that he rose up Sunday morning. Sunday, the early day. Do you know why it had to be Sunday. Because Saturday is the day of rest. God created six days. Then he rested. He didn't do anything until Jesus resurrected. Have you thought about where did he get the clothes when he resurrected? Do you think he appeared married Madeline naked? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. When they crucified him, they crucified him naked and then they wrapped new linen. Listen, when he was buried, they buried him in a new tomb. That's fine. A new linen. It's like a fresh tomb because he has paid the price. Now he was going to his glory. So they buried him fresh tomb and linen. But when they went to the tomb, the linen was still wrapped there. Jesus was not there. What was he wearing? Did he go to Marks and Spencer? (laughs) What was he wearing? God definitely gave him some new clothes. 
God definitely gave him, and God made a new body. The way God formed the body of Jesus in the womb of Mary is the same way he formed this body. He glorified the body in the tomb. So when he resurrected, it was the same body. You can identify him, but it wasn't the same as that same body in the sense that it's a glorified body. God created something new. So the first day of the week, God went back and started, oh, I feel like preaching. God went back and started creating. Shout hallelujah. God went to the tomb and started creating again. That is why Jews worship on Saturdays, but Christians worship on Sunday. Because you were recreated if any man be in Christ. Hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. Sunday is the first day of the second week. So we are in the second week of creation. The first week of creation, God rested. He started creating again in, in in the tomb. Thank you for listening to this message by David Entry. To hear more from David Entry, follow him on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You can also subscribe to Caris Church on YouTube. Don't forget to share and subscribe to our podcast so you're always up to date. Be blessed.